0: to introduce the series Processing Grief by the Goodness of God with a message today on understanding grief from Psalm 34. So if you have your Bibles you want to turn there, we'll be there together in just a moment. Then we will follow with Grief and the Sovereignty of God from Job 1, Grief and Hope from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and Grief and Joy from John 16. I have several goals for this series that I'd like to accomplish. Number one, to help us understand what grief is. Goal number two, to help us understand how God ministers to us in our grief. Goal number three, to help us effectively process grief. And then goal number four, to help us be a blessing to others in their grief. As the actor Robin Williams famously said, everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind always. Of course, he was speaking in terms of personal struggles and depression and despair, but I think the principle applies here as well to us as we think about grief. What is grief? Well, it's been defined as a state of intense sadness that is typically associated with the loss of a significant person or aspect of one's life. Let me say that once again. Grief has been defined as a state of intense sadness that is typically associated with the loss of a significant person or aspect of one's life. We tend to associate grief with death, and that's one of the most common and intense experiences of it, but grief can arise from any number of experiences in life, including the loss of a relationship, the loss of a friendship, the loss of financial stability, physical sickness, loss of trust in a relationship, loss of safety. Or life changes that might bring significant uncertainty to us. And on and on I could go. Someone said grief is an all-consuming, universal human experience that takes many forms. Parents grieve a child whose life is cut short. Children grieve a parent whose memory fades. Childless couples grieve what could have been and may never be. The ill and elderly grieve, losing health and independence. And unprocessed grief can lead to illness and suffering of its own. Further, if we're not the one that is at the moment experiencing the grief, we're often onlookers to someone else's grief. Now, I have both personal and pastoral experience with grief. From a personal standpoint, I remember the first time ...that I was confronted with significant grief in my life. And that was in the loss of my first grandparent. I was 15 years old at the time. I can remember his sickness and specifically the details of the day that he died. It was the first time that I had seen death up close. And then of course in the decades that have followed... ...I've lost a number of extended family members who have passed since then and gone through a number of other stressful and grief-filled situations in life and in family. As a pastor, as an under-shepherd of Jesus in the local church, uh, confronting grief and walking with people through it is a frequent, if not a constant, experience. I have officiated over the years at more than 250 funerals, I've been at the bedside of many people in their final days, many of them in their final moments when they literally drew their last breaths, and I want you to know that there is a heavy weight to that, and it never becomes routine or less painful. Every time, it is a reminder of the brevity of life and the reality of the things that we all have to deal with. On top of that, as a pastor, I've walked with people through a plethora of life issues that run the gamut and bring grief into people's lives. So I know it well, I know it up close and personal, and the Lord has taught me some things about it through both of these perspectives. Why do we experience grief? The answer might at first glance seem like an oversimplification but it is not. We experience grief because we live in a sin-fallen world. We fell from our original position in the Garden of Eden, and we now live in a fallen world and suffer from sickness, pain, suffering, and death. The Bible says that even creation itself groans and cries out for renewal. Romans chapter 8. So the reality of what it means to live in a fallen world is that we struggle daily with sin and we experience heartache and the pain that brings grief. The effects of the fall are numerous and far-reaching. Sin has touched every aspect of our lives and our beings and affected every facet of the experience that we have in this world. Now let's read together in Psalm 34, in verse 18 through 20. And what I want to do is focus particularly in the balance of our time together on verse 18. I begin reading here in Psalm 34 and verse 18. The Lord is near the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. One who is righteous has many adversities, but the Lord rescues him from them all. He protects all his bones, and not one of them is broken. So verse 18 says, the Lord is near the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. We note, first of all, in verse 18, that grief causes us to be crushed in spirit. Psalm 34 is a hymn of thanksgiving. It's specifically a hymn of thanksgiving for deliverance from oppressive situations. It's an alphabetic acrostic that begins in each verse with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There are 15 individual hymns of thanksgiving in the book of Psalms. Thanks is given directly to God for deliverance from various life-threatening situations. Illness, enemies, dangers, disappointments. And the superscription of this psalm places it in a particular situation Of King David. The only example in the Bible that perhaps would apply specifically is from 1 Samuel 21. David fled from Saul and he went to the king at Gath. The king recognized him and David was afraid for his life. So David uh, feigned uh, madness uh, in order to disguise his real identity. He was in a situation of distress, but God had not forgotten him. God delivered him out of his troubles. And maybe you're in distress today. You're experiencing grief that has caused you to be crushed in spirit. I want you to know that God has not forgotten you. We experience a crushed spirit when we find ourselves in despair due to the circumstances of life that bring a loss of hope. I think about examples in the Bible like Moses, where he experienced a time where he was so discouraged in his leadership responsibility that he asked God to take his life in Numbers 11. Job grieved the loss of his children and the loss of his health so much that he cursed the day of his birth. Hannah grieved her inability to have children. Naomi grieved was filled with bitterness and grief because of the loss of her husband and of her sons. Proverbs 17 in verse 23 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Proverbs 18 in verse 14 says, A man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? Or as the living Bible reads, what hope is left? There are common elements of grief that arise from having a crushed spirit. The mental health field over time has identified stages of grief. If you know something about that field, you'll know that the exact number of stages vary depending on the particular model, but the elements are the same. The common elements of grief include shock and denial, pain and guilt. Anger and bargaining, depression and loneliness, reflection. And then at some point, there's an upward turn followed by reconstruction and then acceptance and hope that compels us forward. But what I want to caution you on as you're looking at those commonly stated stages of grief is that there are limitations in understanding grief And the process of dealing with a crushed spirit that are very important for us. Grief is not a linear process. It is not a linear progression. In fact, it is typically messy and complex. Grief experiences are not the same for everyone. We come from different perspectives. Our emotional makeup is not exactly the same. Our faith journey is not at the same point in life when we experience grief. Processing grief that has brought us to the point we are maybe has given us more tools than someone who is freshly facing it. There are any number of reasons why we don't process grief experiences exactly the same. You also need to understand that grief can be delayed. Sometimes people go in and they push the grief back because they're trying to deal with the moment. And I've seen grief delayed for as much as two or three years. And then often it comes on a person like a wave and there are very difficult consequences to it, at least in the moment when they engage and really deal with the trauma and the grief that they've experienced. Grief elements can also come upon us emotionally after a cycle like this, when we would practically say, this ought to be over. So let me give you an example of that. Someone who has lost a spouse that they were married to for many years. They've processed the grief somewhere along the lines with the elements that I've talked about. They think that they're doing quite well. And then a memory in a moment comes into their heart and their mind or an experience with a family member or a situation that you've gone through, and all of a sudden that grief comes back to you in that moment like it's brand new. And I say to you, that is normal, and it's to be expected. It is not a linear progression where we deal with it, it's over, and we never have to think about it again. Jesus knows what it is like to be crushed in spirit. In fact, the Bible describes him as a man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief. He knew what it was like in his earthly ministry to stand in front of the tomb of someone he loved dearly. When Lazarus, his friend died, Jesus knew that he was about to raise him up. And yet he wept. He grieved over his death. We're reminded in the book of Hebrews that we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because he's been tempted and tested at every point as we are. Yet he was without sin. Jesus knew the ultimate crushing when he went to the cross. Isaiah prophesied of the Messiah in Isaiah 53 in verse 4. And he said, yet he himself bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. And then here's what verse 10 says. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When we are crushed in spirit, it is healthy to recognize our grief and to begin to work through it. And we know that because we have the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ, who has carried ultimately all of our griefs and all of our sorrows, we can deal with it with hope. And that hope comes from God. Grief causes us to be crushed in spirit. And then in verse 18, we note, God is near to us in our grief. God is near to us in our grief. The brokenhearted are those who are going through trials and who are crushed in spirit. We all know the feeling of what it's like to be overwhelmed by grief and disappointment, the wave of emotions that sweeps over us, the sense of loss that weighs heavily on our minds. And this idea of the brokenhearted appears a number of times in the Bible. It refers to a condition that is the heaviest kind of affliction or trouble. But we can know in this that God is near to us in our grief. Psalm 147 in verse 3 and 4 says, He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars and He calls them by name. There's a worship songwriter named Brian Dorkson who's from Canada and his son Isaiah suffered from fragile X syndrome, which is a genetic condition that results in physical, intellectual, emotional, and behavioral limitations. And Brian reflected on the day that he and his wife a number of years ago first received confirmation of his son's medical condition. And he said in the midst of his heartache that he considered turning away from worship ministry altogether. But Brian was taught a lesson by God in that moment that caused him not to quit, but to press on. He wrote After receiving the test results, I stumbled around our property, weeping, confused, heartbroken. At one point, I lifted my voice to heaven and handed in my resignation. God, I'm through being a worship leader and a songwriter. And then he said, when I was able to be quiet enough to hear, I sensed God holding out his hand and inviting me. Will you trust me? Will you go even with your broken heart? For who will relate to my people who are heartbroken if not those of you who are acquainted with disappointment? And then Brian said this. He said, I used to think people were most blessed by their great victories, and now I know differently. People are just longing to hear others speak of how they've walked through the deepest valleys, and the world lifts up the victorious and the successful, but God lifts up the brokenhearted. When you are brokenhearted, you can feel the pain of your distress. The pain can be felt in a very real way. It has physical effects. It has mental effects. It has emotional effects on our hearts. It reaches down to the depths of our soul. And we can feel it so intensely because we do not have what we once had or we do not have what we thought we should have at this point in our lives. And therefore, we experience grief from it. The message translation says, if your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. I love the way F.B. Meyer put it. He said, a bird with a broken wing, an animal with a broken leg, a woman with a broken heart, a man with a broken purpose in life. These seem to drop out of the main current of life into the shadows. They go apart to suffer and droop. The busy rush of life goes on without them, but God draws nigh. Maybe today you feel like in your life you're somewhere in the shadows. You're dealing with a heavy burden, an experience that has brought you to a point of grief. You're processing trauma that you didn't expect or want. And you feel like you've been pushed to the shadows and you're all alone. You can know in that moment that God draws nigh to you. He is near to us in our grief and the Holy Spirit is our comforter or our counselor. He is the one who has called alongside of us. God is dwelling in us and he's giving us peace and strength in times of heartache and in times of hurt. And I want to caution you on one point because sometimes you'll hear people say that when you're in your broken condition, when you're experiencing the grief, when you're in your sadness, when you're in your sorrow, that God loves you the most in that moment. God's love never changes. It is not on a sliding scale. From our perspective, what we're trying to say Is we experience it and feel it in this moment, it's more near to us than ever before, so therefore it seems heightened, but the love of God for his children is constant. His love for you is the same on your best day as it is on your worst day. And because God is near us in our grief, we can remember that we do not grieve alone. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3, The Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort comforts us in our troubles. Because God is near to us in our grief, that means that we can share with him what we are experiencing in prayer. And there are many examples in the Bible of people being real with God about their experiences and sharing their experiences and their emotions with God. And you know what the temptation for us is? when we're feeling that hurt and that loss and we're experiencing that grief is to pull back from God. And that's exactly the opposite of what we need. He already knows what's on your heart. He knows what you're experiencing. He knows the burden that you're carrying and he is near to you. So be honest and transparent with him about what you're experiencing. And you can draw Strength and solace from his spirit and from his word. God is near to us in our grief. Last, in verse 18, we note God rescues us from our grief. What does it say? It says that God saves us or rescues those who are crushed in spirit. Now, probably the most common question in times of grief is to ask, why? Why this? Why now? And why me? Now, let me just say to you as transparently and as graciously as I possibly can you are not the only one who has ever experienced such a thing. You are not alone in experiencing it. But what the spiritual enemy wants you to do is he wants you to think that you are alone. He wants you to think that God does not care. He wants you to wallow in the idea that your experience is worse than anyone else's. And if he can get you to wallow in that idea that your experience is worse than anyone else's, nobody understands, nobody cares, then he can trap you in the bondage of despair. And that is not true. God saves the crushed in spirit because he is good. And let's just be honest about it. There are many things in life that are not good. In fact, they are terrible things. They are excruciating things. They're awful things because they're part of this broken world. And we do ourselves no good or anyone else any good by denying that fact Or acting like everything is okay when it's not. Joseph Stoll said one of the worst things you can do as a Christian is to go around with a plasticized mask. Sometimes you may be saying God is good, but you're saying it with tears running down your cheeks. And you're saying it knowing that he never wastes your sorrows. You're saying it knowing that he has magnificent power and he will transform all of your experiences into good and things that bring gain to his kingdom and glory to his name. But I see this often from two sides. One is Christian people who know that their faith is real. They believe it. They own it. They know that God is good. They know that God is faithful. So they want to put forward a good testimony. They want to put forward a good word because they know that God is undergirding. But in reality, they're broken. They're hurting. They're distressed. And sometimes that's where delayed grief comes in because we put the mask on rather than legitimately processing the grief and just owning it for what it is. The other side of that is sometimes well-intended, well-meaning friends and church family say things that are ultimately flippant in the moment of pain, like, well, everything's going to be okay. Well, it will be okay, but guess what, friend? Right now, it's not okay. It's not okay. People are hurting, and I think the best thing that we can do, rather than trying to fix people's grief, is to be present with them and walk with them through their grief. There are times where the experiences God has given us can be wisely interjected into the other person's experience to help them know, hey, I've experienced this as well, and you will get through it to the other side. But it takes wisdom to know when to share that. Because just because you experienced something that was similar doesn't mean that that's going to particularly help that person right at that very moment nor does it mean that their experience is exactly like yours. So all I say in that is just proceed with caution, ask the Lord for wisdom on how to speak truth into people's lives uh, from your own experience and your own testimony. God saves the crushed in spirit because he is faithful. Just as the love of God remains consistent and unshakable, whether it's in times of joy or trouble, the faithfulness of God remains consistent and unshakable, whether in times of joy or trouble. Now it may be more heightened that we recognize the goodness of God in that moment. It may be more evident to us that we recognize the faithfulness of God in that moment. It may be more evident that we feel the love of God in that moment. But again, it is not on a sliding scale. It's the same on your best day as it is on your worst day. And whereas grief can cause us to be frantic, we can trust that God is faithful and remind yourself of God's track record of faithfulness in your life and draw strength from that. He is your source of strength and he is your greatest supporter. Right now, you might be going through a season of rejection and loss or uncertainty, but God's faithfulness will never waver in your life. He will comfort you in your mourning. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. John Bunyan's English classic, Pilgrim's Progress, is a great allegorical story about the journey of the Christian through life. And in that story that I draw from from time to time... There's an episode where Christian, the main character, and his friend and fellow traveler, Hopeful, are captured by the giant despair and his wife, Gloom. And they're thrown into the dungeon of Doubting Castle. As the progression goes, the giant beat them every day and threatened them with death. He actually left rat poison in their cell, hoping that they would commit suicide and just as Christian was actually contemplating ending it all because of its doubts that he had about God's love for him and all the shame that he felt about his own disobedience, he remembered in that moment something that he had been given. He reached into his pocket and he pulled out the key of promise that had been given to him when he became a follower of Jesus the key could unlock the door of any castle of doubt and they were able to make their way of escape. Now let's draw a parallel to this in our lives. When you find yourself in the dungeon of despair, you have the key that'll let you out. And the key that'll let you out is the fact that God will rescue you and his promises are certain. And the only way to get out of despair is to trust God and what he has said because God will rescue you from it if you will trust in him. Now, I close with this and I'm going to give you some points of application. Grief is a part of the human experience in a sin fallen world, but we can overcome it by the goodness of God. It's to be expected. It's a reality, but we can be overcomers. Let me give you four points of application as I come toward a close. Point number one, allow yourself to process grief. When it comes, experience it for what it is. Don't remain in despair perpetually, but process it for what it is. And that's going to get you on the road to getting through it just understanding it and facing it. However deep the pain might be, however bad the darkness seems to be, allow yourself to process it. And as we allow ourselves to process it, the church family, Christian brothers and sisters, we need a theology of presence in the lives of other people, as it's been called in the past. In order to simply be there for people and with people as they walk through these things in life, you don't have to have an answer. Let me just take the pressure off of you. Whatever you say is probably not gonna help a whole lot in that very moment. You'll have time to speak truth and you'll have time to encourage and you'll have time to rebuke if necessary if people are wallowing in it and you'll have time to help them through that. But in that moment, what people need the most is presence. They need us to be with them and to love them through it. Application point number two, I've already mentioned this, but understand that no two grief experiences are exactly alike. If you're going through it and you're thinking, I'm not dealing with it as well as he did, or I'm not getting through it as easily as it seems like she did, don't compare yourself to anybody else. This is not a game of comparison. Your experience is not going to be exactly like someone else's because of the reasons that I mentioned earlier our own emotional makeup, our spiritual maturity, our past experiences, the support network that we have around us. All these things factor into how we deal with these things. And then remember application point number three all grief is temporary. And all loss is temporary in Christ. Now it's hard for me to fathom uh, the comparison between my time on this earth and what eternity really is. It, it's just challenging to process that. Even a long life on this earth that we would consider to be a long life is just a drop of sand in the middle of the depths of the ocean as it compares to the time of eternity so it really is true this too shall pass it will pass it always does but it is also true that it is temporary in the sense that there is something far greater and eternal perspective helps us in that But the key is if we are in Christ. And I hear other brothers and sisters say sometimes, and I've said it myself, I don't know how people get through this if they don't know Christ. I don't know how people get through grief and trauma and loss and all the experiences that go along with it unless they have hope. And maybe today you're dealing with something and you're trying to deal with it yourself. You can't deal with it by yourself. But God has made himself available to you for you to know him by faith. And he will carry your burden. So maybe the starting point for you today is to trust Christ. And then as you trust Christ, lay that burden of grief on him. Because he's the one who can carry it. Application point number four. You won't ever get over it, get over it. But you will grow stronger through your experience and you will be better for it. I can promise you that the experiences I've had personally, I've not gotten over it from a pragmatic sense, but I've gotten through it by the grace of God and I'm better for it. And it's as though we carry little pieces of it, of the experience with us throughout the remainder of our lives on this earth. I can promise you that I'm carrying pieces of the experience of walking through the death experience with more than 250 people in a long spanning ministry. I carry those pieces. I carry the pieces of broken families that ought not be broken. I carry the pieces of prodigal children that people are struggling with that are straying far from where they need to be. And you carry the pieces of the experiences that you have in life and you'll not get over it, but you will grow stronger through it and you will be better for it. So I say to you as the church, let's be mindful of that fact as we're helping people. It's not as though we're expecting them to be at a point and then it's just done and over with. They're to a point where God has strengthened them and grown them. And they're moving forward faithfully, but probably forever changed and forever impacted by it. In just a moment, we're going to sing the song that is entitled uh, The Solid Rock. It's called by a couple of different uh, titles, depending on um, where you look. But it's an old song that you're familiar with. And one of the, one of the verses that we're going to sing, we're going to sing two verses. One of the verses we're going to sing says this. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. And then the chorus says, on Christ." The solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. My prayer is that all of you today who feel like you're broken in spirit, crushed, brokenhearted, that you'll find hope and comfort in Christ. Because when we're standing on Him, we are on solid ground, and He can be trusted. Father, thank you for the time we've had together here in these last few minutes. This hits near to all of us because it's something that's a reality. In this sin-fallen world that we live in, we're either just been through a, a trial and something that could bring us grief, or we're experiencing it now, or we've got one coming ahead that we don't even know about. But Lord, nothing takes you by surprise. Your care and your love and your faithfulness and your goodness is constant. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful that we can approach grief with with gospel hope. And then we can know that we are on solid ground with you. I pray if there are any who hear this message who have not yet come to repentance and faith, they've not yet come to Christ, that they would know that they are loved, that God, you have the answers, you have the hope. You have the forgiveness. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that we would be an encouragement and a comfort to one another. This is one of the the most significant things, Lord, in the church that we can do is, is be with each other and walk with one another through these things that we experience in life. And I thank you for that. And we give this time over to you now, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.